Chapter Four of the Vicar of Rexhill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Vicar of Rexhill by Francis Milton Trollope. Chapter Four: The Will. The day which saw the honoured remains of Mister Mowbray committed to the tomb was one of dreadful suffering to his family and to none more than to his son, who, with a heart swelling with the most genuine grief, was obliged to assume the garb of ceremony and do the now gloomy honours of the mansion to many of the same friends and neighbours who had so recently received the joyous greeting of his father most thankful was he for the relief which followed the departure of the last of those who came to do honour to these splendid obsequies and most soothing was it to his wounded and weary spirit to find himself once more surrounded only by those who could read in a look all he wished to express and who required no welcome to share in the sorrow of that bitter day but like all other periods of human life whether marked by sorrow or by joy it passed away with as even and justly measured a pace as if no event distinguished it from its fellow days and then by slow but sure degrees the little trifling ordinary routine of daily circumstance came with its invisible and unnoticed magic to efface or at least to weaken feelings which seemed to have been impressed by the stamp of burning iron on their souls charles mowbray had not yet taken his degree and wishing to do so as soon as possible he was anxious to return to christ church without delay but his father's will had not yet been opened and at the request of his mother he postponed his departure till this could be done this important document was in the hands of sir gilbert harrington an intimate friend and neighbour who being in london at the time of mr mowbray's death had been unable to obey the summons sent to him in time to attend the funeral but within a week after he arrived and the following morning was fixed upon for this necessary business the persons present were sir gilbert harrington mr cartwright a respectable solicitor from the country town who had himself drawn the instrument and charles mowbray it was dated rather more than ten years back and after the usual preamble ran thus in order that my children or any other persons whom it may concern may know the reason and motive of the disposition of my property which i am about to make it is necessary that i should therewith state the manner of my marriage with clara helena francis my dearly beloved wife notwithstanding her vast possessions i wooed and married her solely because i loved her and this she had the generosity to believe though i was nearly penniless having nothing but my true affection and good blood to offer in return for all the wealth she brought for several months she withstood my earnest solicitations for an immediate union because had she married before she became of age her guardian would have insisted upon settlements and restrictions which would have deprived me of all control over her property nor would she subsequently sign any document whatever previous to her marriage thereby rendering me the sole possessor of her fortune wherefore to show my sense of this unparalleled confidence and generosity i hereby make her the sole inheritrix of all i possess to be ultimately disposed of according wholly and solely to her own will and pleasure and then followed with every necessary and unnecessary technicality of the law such a disposition of his property as left his children entirely dependent on their mother both for their present and future subsistence that this will was very different from anything that charles mowbray expected is most certain and there might perhaps have been some slight feeling of disappointment at finding himself dependent even upon his mother but if such there were it was not sufficiently strong to prevent his doing justice to the noble feeling which had led to it and in truth he felt so certain of the fond affection of his mother that not a shadow of fear either for his own interest or that of his sisters crossed his mind the lawyer who read aloud the deed he had penned 
had of course no observation to make upon it and mr cartwright only remarked that it was a proof of very devoted love and confidence of the small party present at this lecture sir gilbert harrington was the only one who testified any strong emotion respecting it and his displeasure and vexation were expressed in no very measured terms his warmth was at length checked not because he had uttered all he had to say but because he met the eye of mr cartwright fixed upon him with a sort of scrutiny that was unpleasing to his feelings he therefore stopped short in the philippic he was pouring forth upon the infernal folly of a man's acting in matters of importance without consulting his friends and taking the arm of charles walked through the hall into the grounds without appearing to remember that as he was left joint executor with mrs mowbray to the will it might be expected that he should make some notification of its contents to her before he left the house shall we not speak to my mother sir gilbert said mowbray endeavouring to restrain the eager step of the baronet as he was passing through the hall door no sir was the laconic reply and on he stalked with a more rapid step than before the conversation which passed between them during the hour which intervened before sir gilbert clambered up to his saddle and galloped off was made up of something between lamentation and anathema on his side and the most earnest assurances that no mischief could ensue from his father's will on the part of charles the testy old gentleman could not however be wrought upon to see the widow who as he said must have used most cursed cunning in obtaining such a will of which however poor lady she was as innocent as the babe unborn and he at length left the park positive that he should have a fit of the gout and that the widow mowbray would marry within a year as soon as he had got rid of his warm-hearted but passionate old friend mowbray hastened to repair the neglect he had been forced into committing and sought his mother in the drawing-room but she was no longer there the room indeed appeared to be wholly untenanted and he was on the point of leaving it to seek his mother elsewhere when he perceived that miss torrington was seated at the most distant corner of it almost concealed by the folds of the farthest window-curtain rosalind he exclaimed are you hid there where are all the rest and how come you to be left alone i am left alone mr mowbray because i wished it helen and fanny are with your mother i believe in her room charles wished to see them all and to see them together and had almost turned to go but there was something in the look and manner of rosalind that puzzled him and going up to her he said kindly is anything the matter rosalind you look as if something had vexed you to his great astonishment she burst into tears and turning from him as if to hide an emotion she could not conquer she said go go mr mowbray go to your mother you ought to have gone to her instantly instantly when what do you mean miss torrington miss torrington means mr mowbray that it would in every way have been more proper for you to have announced to your mother yourself the strange will it has pleased your father to leave instead of sending a stranger to do it who then has told her of it rosalind was it the lawyer was it mr humphreys no sir it was mr cartwright but why should you be displeased with me for this dear rosalind sir gilbert led me out of the library by force and would not let me go to my mother as i wished to do and i have but this instant got rid of him but i did not commission either mr cartwright or any one else to make a communication to her which i was particularly desirous of making myself you did not send mr cartwright to her said rosalind colouring and looking earnestly in his face no indeed i did not did he say i had sent him how very strange it is she replied after a moment's consideration that i should be perfectly unable to say whether he did or did not i certainly do not remember that he explicitly said madam your son has sent me here but this i do remember that somehow or other i understood that he had done so and how did he announce to my mother that she-i mean how did he communicate to her the purport of my father's will 
charles mowbray exclaimed rosalind passionately clenching her small hands and stamping her little foot upon the ground i may be a very very wicked girl i know i am wilful headstrong obstinate and vain and call me also dark-minded suspicious what you will but i do hate that man hate whom rosalind said charles inexpressibly astonished at her vehemence what is it you mean is it mr cartwright our good friendly clergyman that you hate so bitterly go to your mother mr mowbray i am little more than seventeen years old and have always been considered less instructed and therefore sillier of course than was to be expected even from my age and sex then will it not be worse than a waste of time to inquire what i mean especially when i confess as i am bound to do that i do not well know myself go to your mother charles and let her know exactly all you feel you at least have no cause to hide your faults i will go but i wish i knew what has so strangely moved you ask your sisters they saw and heard all that i did at least they were present here as i was ask them examine them but ask me nothing for i do believe charles that i am less to be depended on than any other person in the world and why so my dear rosalind replied mowbray almost laughing do you mean that you tell fibs against your will yes i believe so at least i feel strangely tempted to say a great deal more than i positively know to be true and that is very much like telling fibs i believe well rosalind i will go for you grow more mysterious every moment only remember that i should greatly like to know all the thoughts that come into that strange little head of yours will you promise that i shall no was the ungracious reply and turning away she left the room by a door that led into a conservatory on entering his mother's dressing-room mowbray found her seated between her two daughters and holding the hand of each she looked up as he entered the traces of tears were on her cheeks and her eyes rested on him with an expression of melancholy reproach such as he had never read in them before my dear dear mother he exclaimed as he approached her has my absence then vexed you so grievously i could not help it mother sir gilbert literally made me his prisoner sir gilbert charles might have shown more respect to the memory of the friend he has lost than by keeping his son to listen to his own wild invectives against the wife that friend so loved and trusted whoever has repeated to you the hasty expressions of sir gilbert my dear mother in such a manner as to leave a painful impression on your mind against him has not acted well you know his temper but you should know his heart also and i should not have thought that it could have been in the power of any one to make you doubt the real friendship of sir gilbert for us all surely charles it was no symptom of friendship to me to say that your dear father had made an accursed will good heavens what a strange misrepresentation mother and all hanging as it should seem upon one little syllable our friend as you well know is what rosalind calls a mannish man he denies the supremacy of women and might and i verily believe did say that a will which vested power in her must be a cursed will but we know too well his long licensed coarseness of expression to greatly marvel at that but for the solemn and most awful word accursed believe me mother he never said it it matters little my dear son what particular words of abuse sir gilbert uttered against me provided that your heart did not echo them mother dearest mother cried helen rising and going towards her brother who seemed petrified at the words he heard how for a single moment could you believe that charles's heart could echo any word that spoke not honour and love toward you he might have been mistaken helen replied her mother with a heavy sigh charles could not indeed suspect that the mother his dear father so fully trusted should prove unworthy of the trust but let us quit this painful theme and believe me my children that the first wish of my heart is to prove myself worthy of his trust and your love 
such words are just what we might expect to hear from you mother said mowbray were any profession from you to us necessary but i would gladly forget that you have ever thought such an assurance called for he bent down and kissed her fervently and then making a sign to helen who seemed about to follow him that she should remain where she was he walked out for a couple of hours among the darkest thickets he could find with more of melancholy feeling than had ever before rested on his spirits End of chapter four